Teaching Abroad Pod with James Davis. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for joining us on this, the 25th edition of the Teaching Abroad Pod, coming at you on March 23rd. I am your host, James Davis, and with me this week will be my co-host, Alex, from the Oxford Seminars Job Placement Service. Alex, how are you? Good, well, James. Spring is in the air. Good vibes flowing around. How about you? Feeling good. Yes. Spring is in the air. It's nice. I do have a dog, so he is getting muddy every day, but that is okay. It's worth it. Things are happening in the world. Positive things, Alex. What have you got for us? Yeah, there's a few negative things happening, but this isn't a place to talk about those. Let's talk about the positive things. Yeah. So for the world of ESL, really good news. Japan, Taiwan, and Vietnam are finally reopening their borders to foreign teachers. For Japan and Taiwan especially, it's been a really long wait. And uh, our fellow co-host Rowan wrote a really interesting blog about this uh, that just went up this week. So if you want more details, check out his blog. But in the blog, he mentions that Japan had a wait list of up to 400,000 people who'd been waiting while the border has been closed for much of the past two years. So for those people, for people hoping to get into Taiwan to teach, and for those thinking of Vietnam, this is really good news and and long-awaited good news. Perfect. And uh, listeners, you can find that at oxfordseminars.com forward slash blog. Today we have a fantastic episode. We're going to be speaking uh, to Pim who is the assistant director at the CEDIA Center in Ecuador. So we're going to talk to him about his life in Ecuador and, you know, the kind of food and kind of work they do there. And uh, anything else, Alex? Uh, yeah, there's a bit more good news that I'll talk about later in the JPS update, which is about uh, Korea and Thailand have lowered their quarantine restrictions for uh, travelers to those two countries. We're just seeing more opening up travel restrictions going down, border restrictions going down. So this is all good news, especially for people who are hoping to be able to teach overseas for the second half of 2022, the spring and fall of 2022. Hopefully it's going to be lots more good news to come. All right. uh, First up, we're going to bring you that interview with Pim after a quick word from our sponsor. With Oxford Seminars, starting your new career teaching ESL couldn't be easier. Oxford Seminars has trained more than 70,000 teachers over the past 20 years, and you could be next. Their comprehensive 120-hour program starts with live instruction from an experienced ESL teacher, followed by convenient online modules. If your goal is to relocate overseas or even teach from the comfort of your own home, Oxford Seminars' renowned lifetime job placement service will get you where you want to be. Right now, you can get $50 off your Oxford Seminars TESOL TASOL TAFL course price when paying in full by calling 1-800-779-1779 and giving the code TEACHINGABROADPOD. Visit OxfordSeminars.com today to find out more. We are now very happy to be joined by Pim from the SEDE Foundation based in Ecuador. SEDE Center for Inter-American Studies Foundation is a non-profit organization founded in 1992. Their goal is to promote mutual understanding among the peoples and nations of the Americas through academic and cultural exchange, as well as community service. They offer a range of programs, including English language instruction and work alongside Oxford Seminars' job placement service team to help match Oxford Seminars graduates with available teaching positions both online and in Ecuador. Pim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, James. Thanks for uh, the invitation. 
So uh, Pim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what's your background? Uh, how did you start teaching English? And how did you end up in Ecuador? Um, well, my name is Pim, another usual name for an English speaker. I'm actually from the Netherlands. Going back a long time, I started learning English by having contact with uh, an English befriended family. We always shared holidays together. So that's how I learned my English from a very young age. Without knowing, I was getting a bilingual education because of the, the friendship we had and the letters we sent. Um, this helped me a lot during my college and university. In the end, I went into education because I was studying art and related to education. I, I wanted to be an artist and I felt like I cannot earn enough money by art only. Let's do something fun on the side and I, I like education, so let's start there. But then I found out by giving art classes in the Netherlands, especially in the uh, deprived areas of, of big cities where language is a big problem. I found myself expressing much more language than art in my classes to help the kids of, of, of immigrants, uh, third generation, second or even first generation to teach them how to speak uh, Dutch or how to speak English through art, through theater, through uh, all sorts of uh, gardening uh, projects. Um, we met elderly people, we met uh, other people from the Netherlands to, to let the, the kids integrate and there started this, this fascination of, of language, of, of, of communication, more even through, through word and, and, and speech uh, and gesture than through art at some point. So after working there for 10 years, I, I felt like I need to explore more for my own needs, my own wanderlust. So I felt like I'm going to do something somewhere outside of the Netherlands and better with, the, with English than with art because with English, you can go to whatever country you would like, and it opens doors um, in every city, whereas art, you need to specifically have a plan and you need to apply. And it's, it's a bit more difficult to get to the place where you want to go and then change places. So for me, English and, and language was a very natural way of um, opening up the world for myself. And, and I started actually here in, in Ecuador. I started here with Veronica, with um, the team that I'm working with now, about seven years ago. That was my start getting into language education and getting into Ecuador. So what drew you to Ecuador? Was it the work with CDEI or uh, was it a country that you'd had on your radar for a while already? A friend of mine, we, we sat together and we said, okay, we got, we're, we're going to travel, right? Yes. And he said, I'm going to Indonesia because of the cultural roots, because of uh, the culture there. And I was like, oh, that's tempting. That might be interesting. Um, he's going, he, he was going into a plan to study again. I was like, do I really want to go to university in another country again? Like, and I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to teach. I want to work. I don't want to go to university again. So then I said, no, I'm sorry. Here, here is where our ways part. I'm going to go to Latin America. Also for my family roots. A lot of my family members went here. They lived here for a long time. Uh, my aunt is from Suriname and I, I, I love her. I love that part of my family a lot. I get along with them very well. And um, I looked for a job in Argentina and they said it was, that was seven, eight years ago. And they said, don't come. There's a, there's a crisis here. It's difficult. Like if you want to teach English, go to another country, maybe later on. Like, okay. And then I, I looked for some jobs in Colombia. Like what big countries do you have in Latin America, right? Argentina, Colombia, or Brazil. So I was like, no, maybe Colombia. And then I didn't like the jobs I found there, although the country is very, very interesting. 
And then I saw a picture, like literally, I saw an old picture of 1908, an old picture of the rivers of, of Cuenca. And it was like, it was drawn. And, and since I like art, I was like, this is an interesting picture. Could it be real? Is this like a real image I can find still in that city? So I looked up Cuenca. Through Google and through internet, I just found more pictures that I felt like, that looks good. Maybe there's a job there. And then I, I looked for Education Cuenca, ZDE came up, I contacted them. And that's how my dreamy and romantic trail started through just pictures and images and, and imagination of this could be nice. And it was, the first year was magical. It was really very good to be in, in, in Cuenca, to be in Ecuador, very friendly. And so it was a very good first start, I think. Tim, you mentioned some uh, different ways you use your language teaching even gardening things like that so yeah. are these like a bunch of different programs that you offer or is it just someone enrolled will experience all these different things um no with my former jobs i had different kind of projects and all projects were based on helping students helping young learners and older students to become better at their language and what i learned from that experience is that you cannot come to real language you cannot learn a, a real language if you don't do something that interests you so you have to explore the world with your students i think so gardening is one of those things or art or, or dance and here in in ecuador um, at cde we apply the same kind of education we go along with the interests of our students but we haven't done an, a, a gardening project yet <laughs> um, but we do have classes where we uh, use art, where we use music, everything we can offer within the institute or within a virtual classroom to make sure that language becomes uh, alive. So uh, you mentioned Cuenca is a really beautiful city, and I know it's a really popular travel spot in Ecuador. And I know yeah. Ecuador is also very diverse in terms of the geography and climate. How would you describe Ecuador to somebody who's never been there, but is interested in maybe going? Um, Ecuador, first of all, is very well organized if you compare it to Latin American countries. Traveling is easy. The roads are easy to travel on. If you come with a motorcycle, it's safe. Travel by bus, it's also safe. The cities are well organized. It's a bit different in the mountains. It's, it's better organized than on the coast. So there are different cultures. I think there are four main parts of the country, like you have the coast, you have the mountain cultures, and then there's the, the, the raw jungle with a lot of uh, native people still who live there um, and, and try to maintain their old cultures and ways. Um, very interesting to visit. The fourth part, the most interesting part for people from Japan or from China or from the United States or wherever on, on this planet, they, they want to go to Galapagos because of um, Darwin who did his, his studies there. And if you want to go to Galap Galapagos, which is part of Ecuador, you have to come through Ecuador first to, to get there. They have the privilege of, of providing travel. If you visit Ecuador, you shouldn't miss out any of those. You need to go to the coast, go surfing and party. Surfing is great here. It's very unique to, to surf in Ecuador. Uh, the mountains, the culture, the food. I love the food here, it's great. And then the jungle, the El Oriente, as they say in Spanish, that's also part you should visit because of the native cultures. Go fishing with, with an old spear and see how they do it. And it's actually effective. Stuff like that is something you can find here within one country, within one well-organized platform, as, as to say, for, for a tourist. 
It's fair to say that we are pretty obsessed with food recommendations on this podcast. Seriously? Uh, yeah, we that's I'm the right person. <laughs> is there anything you want to highlight at all? Oof, so much. Um, well, my wife is a food engineer. Uh, oh, we wow. love, yeah, we love food. We cook uh, a lot of Ecuadorian dishes. My my mother-in-law, she's a chef, and we uh, we just recently started. Well, she started an institute in gastronomy and tourism here. For me, it's a side project because I have loads of work here at CDE. But we have a lot of interest in that. Like the traditional food is super interesting. It goes back uh, more than two thousand years. The origin of eating the mote. Mote is like a kind of uh, corn. It's fresh. It's it's really delicious. And the, the way they prepare it here is um, going back to the traditions of of cultures before the Inca culture, before Quechua culture. Everybody knows it. Everybody eats it. But it has a very interesting origin. Um, the same for the, the other condiments they use. Like in English, we say bell pepper, but here you say rocoto, which is a, a a kind of pepper, which is very interesting to to work with. It's beautiful to see, but it's also a very good taste. They use um, bits of a kind of uh, pumpkin, which is the base of, of a lot of di dishes. Here it's called uh, Pepa de Sambo. There are a lot of those very original mountain products. This, these are just three examples, but there are hundreds. And those can be found here still in the original, um, original way of, of using the product in the kitchen. On top of that, you have the colonial influence over the years of the Spanish kitchen. El Oriente, the, the jungle, has their own type of food. So everything is mixed in a very interesting... Even Chinese food can be found here through Chinese workers who came in like 50 years ago. I think they started exploring Latin America and they found a very good base for fishing, for uh, even oil um, products are made here and transported to China. So they brought their own food and they mixed it with the local ingredients. So there is a very interesting mix of food here, as in many countries in Latin America. One of the biggest benefits, I think, here is that it's in comparison to Dutch European products, it's not contaminated. It's pure. It's You can cook with the most purest taste. For Ecuadorians, they take it for granted. They feel like this is how we eat and this is how we use our products. And then when you come from a country where everything comes from regulated farms and from uh, all sorts of contamination that, that enter the products you find the most purest products here to to eat and to to use in your kitchen so um, if you like cooking and if you like exploring the world i think you should definitely um, come by and, and check out all the markets and products here uh, before we move on from food, I have to selfishly ask you one question. When we were traveling in Ecuador, we tried a dish called yepingachos yes. in Quito. Is that also popular in Cuenca or is that mostly in Quito? No, it's, it's, it, I think in all parts of the, the higher region, regions in the mountains, uh, you use it with a, you eat with a, a barbecue or a, any grilled fish or meat made out of potatoes, right? That's another thing. You have like hundreds or maybe thousands of sort of different taters here. So that's interesting also to everybody makes their own yapingachos. And um, yeah, that's a very good example of one of the unique side dishes here. So unfortunately, I will drag us away from food. Uh, back, oh. to, back to some teaching. Pim, so your current role is uh, assistant director. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So um, would it be... Uh, fair to say that you're involved in hiring teachers and things like that yes yeah we saw so, the teachers that will come here and check on their teaching skills and um, 
how the, the methodology and experience they have. So I was just wondering, uh, we like to get different perspectives on, on what you look for in a teacher. For me, when it comes to language teaching and also for CDE, our methodology is based on making language interesting, making it um, something that is alive. Like a word in a book can be just a word in a book, nothing more than that. But when you can connect it to the actual world of the student, then uh, I think you're making words come alive. Like that's the way I see it. That's what we want in every classroom. So whenever you offer new language, I think it is super important that our students feel that the word is something they can they can incorporate in their in their thinking and their English thinking. There are many techniques to come to that. So. I think the most important part is what we what we want is that we follow the steps of first activating your English tongue again at the beginning of the class, um, playing a game, whether they're students of, of uh, 60 years old who want to um, reactivate the English they learned in the US or, or kids of, of eight years old who for the first time are trying to form a word in their mouth um, for both. It's super important to play a game, have fun, listen to a song, try to sing with the kids and the and the older students too. They feel emotion and the words come to life for them. And then of course there is a method behind it. It's not just um, let's sing songs for 60 minutes and, and see what it does, but um, it's an introduction to get to new uh, vocabulary, to get to new grammar. And then once you structured it, structured it, they can use it in a freer form and use their new language and go to, I don't know, to a, a club here to school to college or to drink coffee in one of the uh, cafes and try to order in English why not or speak with your family member that came from the US after uh, working there for a couple of years and try to uh, use your language I think it works very well so um, I know that during the pandemic a lot of schools switched to online lessons or some were doing a mix of in-class and yeah. online lessons can you talk a bit about how that was at, uh, in Ecuador in terms of switching to online and then what the future yeah. looks like? Difficult, of course. It was a big change we needed to make. And um, my teaching is based on, on ma mainly on young learners and also my experience. So especially for the youngest learners, it's super difficult to sit behind a computer and be on your chair for the whole time. So we had, we had to invent and, and rethink on what is teaching, how... How can I get my kids moving through their room, but get them back to the screen if I want to? Like there is a, a dynamic of, okay, let's let's all dance. And then you, you lost two and they're dancing in the kitchen with their mom. Like, weren't you in English class? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they come back after five minutes with a yapingacho, like they got from their, from their abuela, from their grandmother. We needed to restructure the whole idea of how we teach because it's not in the Institute. It's not at their school. It, it's in their own room, but we adapted. Uh, rather quickly, I think we got some great um, devices working for us on platforms. We switched recently to a newer platform, which is a very good uh, two platforms actually of Richmond. There we find all the, the resources that we need to teach. We have, uh, they make videos for their, for their students. They have platforms to communicate like Facebook. Um, they have the books online. So now we have students coming from all over Ecuador and even outside of Ecuador because we, we don't need to be in in-person in classes anymore. But as you, I think you can hear it, but we're getting the building ready. We're in a very old colonial building here and we're getting the building ready to go back to in-person classes again. So benefited in that sense that there were no students for two years here. 
to renovate all the all the rooms and the whole building. We're finishing it off, and in April we're getting back to hopefully. That's you never know. Fingers crossed, but we want to go back to in-person classes again, since it's safe again to, to teach and, and be in one room. Do you think you'll continue with some online classes as well, or is the goal to go completely back to only in-person classes? No, we, we have a client base now outside of, of Cuenca too, um, and we want to keep teaching them. Um, they're somewhere in their, in their development, and it would be a loss for them and also for us if we if we stop with online classes so we also have teachers outside of ecuador and they will mainly focus on the online classes and then the teachers who are here in cuenca they they will have in-person classes and if they like because a lot of teachers also adapted well to the virtual classes so if they if they want they can continue with the virtual classes too it's that's up to them of course so, uh, Pim, there's kind of a, a big question that we, we like to ask all of our guests before we let them go. Bring it um, on. No pressure. But uh, we like to ask people if they have any advice or encouragement for someone who's thinking about the journey that you've been on for the past seven years. So, you know, you told us the wonderful story about, you know, how you ended up in Ecuador. I just wondering, what do you say to people who are considering teaching English or, or just living overseas? In any case of doubt, just remember two words, do it, do it, do it, do it. There's, there's no reason, there's no good argument to, to stay in your safe bubble. That applies to traveling, it applies to your career, it applies to your social relationships. If you feel that something might be good for you, just do it. The only way to find out where it's good for you is to actually experience it and not just keep it up in, in, in your imagination and, and, and maybe yes, maybe no. So if, if you're even thinking about it, it probably is, so, is a good idea. Uh, if we take the subject of traveling, if you think like, oh, but maybe I have a good contract here. Um, I have my family. I will miss my friends. Yeah, but why are you thinking of traveling? Because it, it's already inside you. The idea is already growing. So just do it. And then after a year, you will have the chance to, to evaluate and see if this was a good choice. And if it wasn't, you can go back. There will be another good contract. Your family will still be there. Your friends will love to hear your stories. And if you like it, you can still visit them, but you can continue traveling. So I think you just should take the chance and do it. Thank you so much, Pim, for your time. Uh, that was a wonderful uh, insight into all the hard work you guys do and, and Ecuador. So thank you again. Thank you too. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, James. And uh, hope to see you soon again. Thanks. And thanks again to Pim for being such a wonderful guest. Before we let our good listeners go, Alex, uh, you had a little extra update for us from the job placement service. Yeah, so following up on the good news about uh, Japan, Taiwan, and Vietnam uh, reopening their borders, further good news this month uh, just announced for Thailand and South Korea, both of whom have made changes to drop the quarantine restrictions upon arrival. So no more 10 or 14 day quarantine restrictions on arrival. Uh, now, for Thailand, as of March 1st, fully vaccinated travelers are eligible for what they're calling the test and go entry process, which basically involves you register on the Thailand Pass app about a week prior to your departure, upload your details there, and then you'll have to get one PCR test, show a negative PCR test within 72 hours of your departing flight. Upon arrival in Thailand, you'll proceed to a designated hotel where you'll take your second PCR test. And the results of that are usually the turnarounds about 24 hours. So it means you're basically going to spend up to about one day in the hotel until you get your negative test results, after which you're free to enter Thailand. And 
you'll also be required to take a, an ATK self-test, a rapid antigen self-test, five to six days later from wherever you are at that point. And then you report those to the uh, authorities following this guidelines from the Ministry of Health on how to do that. This is all for fully vaccinated travelers, by the way. And for Korea, it's almost even a little bit better. There's not even a one-day wait. Starting from April 1st, fully vaccinated travelers will be exempt from any quarantine upon arrival. So the process in Korea is you'll provide your vaccine history in Korea's online quarantine information pre-entry system, so similar to Thailand's pre-entry system. Prior to your departure, you'll get one negative PCR test within 48 hours of your flight. So for Thailand, it's 72 hours ahead. With Korea, it's a shorter window. It has to be done within 48 hours. So that's something to keep in mind of your flight. Upon arrival, a second negative PCR test within one day of arriving, but not from a designated facility. You're free to travel to your destination and get your test results. And then again, a rapid antigen test within six to seven days upon arrival. Yeah, so this is more good news. Borders are opening, uh, restrictions are, are decreasing, more travel is becoming easier again, which is good. And so hopefully, yeah, 2022 will have more good news because we can always use some more good news these days. We certainly can. Thank you very much, Alex, for your updates. And thanks again to Pim. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to the Teaching Abroad pod, where we'll be releasing new episodes every other Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you can find a good podcast. If you have any ideas you'd like to hear us discuss or any people you want us to interview in an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment on YouTube, contact us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, we'll accept them all. That will be at Oxford Seminars. Or failing that, you can email us at teachingabroadpod at oxfordseminars.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day.